electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Why one of the world's most closely followed investors says it's probably time to sell stocks. That new call from Guggenheim's chief investment officer, Scott Minard, who joins us momentarily in a CNBC exclusive. Our investment committee also with me today to debate on whether we are at peak everything. With me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Josh Brown, Jason Snipe, Rob Seachens. Good to see everybody. Take a look at the markets on this Friday. Stock's been lower on this final trading day of July. That's where we are now. Dow's down 120. S&P's down one half of 1%. NASDAQ is off as well. It is those comments, though, in that new note from Mr. Minard grabbed our attention today. He joins us now, does Scott Minard, in a CNBC exclusive interview. Welcome to the Halftime Report. It's good to have you on. Great. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. I'm looking at your note today, the title of which is Things Couldn't Be Better, but it's the last line of the note that may be the most important of all, where you say, quote, all in all, as far as markets and the economy are concerned, things couldn't be better. If that's the case, I guess it's time to sell. Why are you making this call today? Well, first off, uh, the, 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 the comment that things couldn't be better, if things couldn't be better, there's no upside left. Right. So you might as well go to cash or, get, or change your strategy. But the, the thing that's bothering me, Scott, is that uh, you know, while I think the expansion has legs and lots of room to run, the, the surge in the pandemic is uh, mind-numbing. And when you look at the absolute number of cases that we're getting an increase in week to week, uh, we're reaching levels uh, where we were at like last October where we were in lockdown, and, uh, and given the transmission rate of the Delta variant, uh, it, it's uh, very likely within two to three weeks we could be back to peak levels. Um, it, it just seems to me, uh, just as uh, was the case back in February of 2020 when I came on CNBC and I talked about you know, the likelihood that the market was completely ignoring it as we were making new highs. This feels exactly the same. And so uh, if we're going to have lockdowns, uh, which I think will be highly likely, it's going to affect the economy and it's going to dent investor sentiment. So, you know, it might be a good time to, to take some risk off the table uh, and, uh, and save some dry powder for uh, the possibility that we could see a severe uh, correction here later in the summer. So let, let, me, let me go at a couple of things you just said. You say lockdowns, in your words, are, are highly likely. What makes you think that? There doesn't seem to be any appetite whatsoever to do that. You liken things to last October. Um, it's important to note, maybe most of all, we didn't have the vaccine last October. Uh, Dr. Gottlieb was on Squawk Box this morning, said the following, quote, the vaccines still work very well, even in the CDC's data. They showed a 25-fold reduction in the risk of death, a 25-fold reduction in the risk of hospitalization, an eight-fold reduction in the risk of disease. Not to mention, he says we're probably much further along in this whole Delta variant thing than most people think, and that the peak could be much sooner, Scott. Sure. 
Well, you know, and, and you know that could be the case, uh, Scott. I mean, I think that uh, I'm not an expert in this, but when you know, I often talk about you know, I, I watch data, and uh, you know, the transmission rate for the Delta variant is two to three times that of uh, the variant we were dealing with last October, with only half of our country vaccinated, and uh, the group who is most affected. Uh, by the Delta variant, which is the younger population, uh, making up the majority of those people, uh, and, and the high transmission rate, you know, I think we're going to get a surge in cases. Now, you know, I mean, we are seeing it now. Uh, if that's the case, then we have to start questioning whether schools are going to reopen, uh, uh, given that it's, it's concentrated in younger people. That's going to keep uh, parents at home and not going back to the workforce. And then in, you know, some areas uh, where there is a, a proclivity to move quickly into a lockdown, uh, that, uh, you know, we're going to probably see those areas want to, to do it again uh, in order to protect the population. I think the, the one thing we can conclude, uh, just like the last time around, there will be some areas that lock down uh, and there will be some areas that stay open. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, as, it, as it was back then, it wasn't a nationwide lockdown, but it is enough to uh, dent the enthusiasm for risk assets and certainly uh, could have an impact on profitability in the near term. There's just no indication, though, that we're going to lock down. The, 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 that has to be the base case at this point. Don't, don't you agree? Well, you know, that was the same place we were back uh, in February of 2020. But, uh, but we didn't have a no vaccine, time. though. The, the vaccine is a game changer. You, you have to admit that. Sure. No, absolutely. But it's only half the country, right? We still have approximately 150 million people in this country who are not vaccinated. And with a, with a transmission rate that is over two times higher than what we had with the original variant, we're going to see a big, big increase in cases. And then we're going to find out, you know, what, what political pressures come to bear and what uncertainty it starts to raise in the minds of investors. If it weren't for the fact, Scott, that we're at such, you know, uh, lofty valuations, whether it's in areas like stocks or whether it's with credit spreads in below investment grade bonds, you know, I, I wouldn't be nearly as concerned. But, uh, you know, we are coming into a seasonally weak period of time. Uh, Ned Davis research shows that in the second year of, a, of a, a stock market rally, there's a correction on average around 16%. You know, all, all the pieces are in place. And so, you know, it could just very well be that the, the news and the unexpected rise in COVID cases is, is the catalyst that sets off the summer correction, which actually I've been talking about for quite a while. The, the counter, of course, is that, you know, maybe valuations aren't that rich if you consider where interest rates are. And you yourself point out in your note that August is traditionally a time where long rates go down. With rates where they are, how can you make the case that stocks are that expensive? Well, I think, look, I think that um, given where we've been on a relative basis, stocks are much more expensive than we were in the last 12 months. Uh, I agree with you. I believe 
before the economic expansion ends, before uh, we get to uh, the next recession, that we're likely to see multiples perhaps even higher than we are today and see earnings significantly higher. I I just uh, was on another network this week and said, look, I think before we get to the next recession that we'll have uh, the S&P at, at 5,000 or higher. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I recognize that uh, there are opportunities uh, and there are times when risk uh, – you know, risks are rising, and you know it's it's not so imprudent uh, to you know if you've got some profits to be taking profits and reducing risk. Um, I, I often quote Baron von Rothschild, who, when asked the secret of his great wealth, said, "I sold early." Right? I mean, it's uh, it, to me, it's it just makes sense that uh, we have enough uncertainty given the seasonal pattern, given the uh, uh, the history of stock market returns given the risk of the pandemic, and then on top of that, valuations. You know, we're not early, right? We, you know, this, this isn't the beginning of a major stock market rally. That started last March, or a year ago, March. Uh, and so, you know, I, Scott, I'm, I'm a guy who believes in the preservation of capital, and, and I think for people, you know, as, as people know, I've been very bullish, uh, you know, there's a, there's a time to maybe take some profits and, and de-risk and look for a better opportunity. Look, there, there is a, a debate worthwhile having right now of whether we are in a quote-unquote peak-everything environment, right? If you look at some of the results this week from big tech, for example, you look at the revenue growth numbers, Scott. Alphabet, 62% year-over-year. Facebook, 56. Apple, 36. Amazon, 27 Microsoft 21. I mean, those are just astounding numbers. I think we can agree on that. Maybe they can never be that good again, but a little bit less than that is not so bad either, is it? No, no, I agree with that too. But, you know, I love the story. For those who know Alan Shaw, who's the great dean of technical analysis, when he was a fundamental analyst, he worked with an older gentleman, and they had a conference call with the CEO, and the CEO said, Things couldn't be better. And after they hung up the phone, the senior guy said to Alan, okay, put out a sell recommendation. And he goes, what do you mean put out a sell recommendation? The CEO just told us things couldn't be better. That's the way I kind of feel here, Scott. Things couldn't be better. What about the Fed? What what role does all all that play here? You you heard the chairman earlier this week saying we're still a ways off from where the economy needs to be, right? One side of the mandate, inflation. Okay, that that's fine. But the Fed chairman is is stuck on the issue of of employment. Now, you did have St. Louis Fed President Bullard today saying that the Fed should taper in the fall and finish tapering by early next year. What role is all of that conversation playing here? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, anything that uh, starts the market to believe that that uh, the Fed will taper early uh, is actually good for bonds, because that is um, you know, increasing the, and I mean treasury bonds, uh, because that's increasing um, the risk that they will, the Fed will cause a, a, a economic slowdown faster than anticipated. But the, the other side of this is, uh, you know, the majority of the, of the FOMC, the majority of Fed presidents, and certainly the Board of Governors, uh, don't believe that we're anywhere near the time that we're going to start uh, 
reducing asset purchases. And so I, I think, Scott, the timeline we're working with is uh, sometime probably in December, the Fed will announce their plan. And just like they did the last time, they'll wait for a period of time, which I think is more likely to be six months, before they start to implement their plan for tapering. And then it'll take them about a year, which then will put us into the middle of 2023 before we end tapering. And then we'll probably have a couple of years before they start raising rates. Okay. Uh, so and, and you, you can play that out against the backdrop of the employment data, and it, it matches up pretty well. I, I go back to the, the word that people have mentioned uh, from the beginning of, of, of this rally, uh, from the beginning, it feels like, of time, and certainly since 08. Liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. You are making the runway even longer for how much this liquidity will be impacting the stock market. That, along with low interest rates, doesn't that keep stocks from having a big tumble? Uh, yeah, and that's why that's what I point to in, uh, in the piece I just released this morning, that, you know, all of this liquidity out there, uh, the, the reaction function of the policymakers to instantly respond uh, to this kind of stuff really does, you know, help mitigate the risk. So, you know, I'm not talking about a stock market sell-off of 35%, which is what we got back in 2020. But, you know, a, a correction, you know, something in the neighborhood of between 10 and 20 percent. No, that's painful. Uh, you know, we're overdue. That's painful, right? I mean, you know, you don't have to go 30 percent to feel the pain. 15 to 20 percent is going to hit a lot of people really hard. I think so. And I think, you know, we're going to catch a lot of catch a lot of people by surprise. And, um, you know, that's why, uh, you know, as, as, I, as I'm often known for having out of consensus views, uh, you know, I feel that, you know, it, whether I'm right or wrong, I have an obligation to uh, to our clients to basically say, hey, look, you know, uh, this is what the data tells me. And uh, it's not going to be, as Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so, you know, a 10 or 20 percent correction at this point could be painful. But, boy, the one thing I want to be clear about, Scott, is if I am right that 10 to 20 percent correction will be a, a great buying opportunity. Scott, if, if you oblige me, I'd like to get my investment committee involved in the conversation. I know they have questions for you, starting with Josh Brown. Hey, Scott, it's nice to see you. I read your piece this morning and I share your concern about the rate of spread of the Delta variant and and uh, just this idea that maybe we're not ready uh, for for how quickly that could ramp up to some of the numbers we were dealing with. But what if you have it backwards? Um, what if what if the, the Delta variant is what we needed to wake up the half of the country that's been resistant to vaccines? We've now got evidence in the last week that states with the lowest vaccination rates and and the highest incidences of soaring cases are now seeing people running for vaccines. Arkansas, Florida, Louisiana, Missouri, and Nevada in the last week, where they have low vaccination rates in a lot of cases, people are racing to get vaccinated. So what if that's actually a good thing because people would prefer not to send their kids back to school mm-hmm. this September in masks, and this was the wake-up call we needed? I know it's not a good thing when people get sick, but what if that's how it plays out? And then the second part of that is, no offense, calling for a possible 10% correction is not particularly profound, given that since 1950, we've had 36 corrections. So that's one on average every 20 months or so. 
Um, so it's like I almost feel as though like, yeah, of course, 10 percent could happen. It happens all the time. So I just wanted to get your reaction to those two ideas. Let me also, before you answer that, uh, Scott, uh, we are getting some new data in terms of the the level of, of vaccinations where the U.S. This news just coming out moments ago where the U.S. has seen the highest number of newly vaccinated people since July 1st. So to Josh's point, this, if you want to call it new fear, is prompting people to get vaccinated. Right. Yeah. And then, look, I think to that point uh, with with uh, uh, that is being made here is that's good. Um, it's just even at that sort of pace, you know, if, if you believe, uh, you know, the uh, the data uh, where, you know, we're sitting around 60,000 cases a day uh, and it's rising and there's a two week incubation period, uh, all the vaccines in the world that we give people in the next two weeks isn't going to keep us from, you know, tripling. Uh, that number of cases, which would be, you know, but it could keep us from lockdowns. Right. And well, then then we get to the political question. Right. And, that, and that, that the lockdowns are entirely a political question in my mind. But, you know, I want to say I want to answer your second question, Josh, which I think is excellent. Uh, I think what you're saying is uh, obvious. And uh, in terms of, you know, the likelihood of a correction, there's nothing unusual here. Right. And, you know, I often tell people I love people who have a grasp for the obvious because they're so uncommon. And uh, I, I think you're right. It is obvious. And, uh, you know, Scott just made a comment a moment ago, you know, a 10 to 20 percent correction here could be, you know, it's pretty painful for some people. So, you know, yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. You know, uh, I, I like to basically uh, try to look for the obvious things, which I think the market is just asleep on. Can, can you give us more clarity on exactly how you are personally positioning Guggenheim and, and the, the money that you are in charge of there, or at least um, advising on how you would be positioned here, given your call? Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the thing is, I never, uh, I never believe myself 100%. And so uh, what we've done is over the course of uh, uh, the last few weeks, uh, and especially in the, in the past week, is, you know, we've been reducing our exposure uh, to high-yield bonds in accounts where we have, uh, you know, crossover ability from investment grade to below investment grade. Uh, in our high-yield accounts, we've been uh, systematically reducing our triple-C exposure uh, and uh, and now, you know, we've been cutting back our single B exposure. Uh, so, you know, we are de-risking. Uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, looking for opportunities perhaps to, uh, uh, in some of our macro accounts, to consider uh, situations where we could do uh, put spreads or something like this that would give us uh, protection to the downside. And, um, you know, and in terms of our equity holdings, uh, candidly, um, the majority of those are in SPACs at this point, and uh, you know, as we all know, SPACs are all trading around their new issue price. And uh, you know, I view the I view SPACs as an option on um, uh, Euphoria, and so some of them are working well, and some of them aren't. And the ones that you don't see performing well, when you get to that moment, you just basically. Uh, elect to take your money back or sell it into the market if it's trading better than where the IPO came. Shannon Sakosha has a question for you. Shannon? 
Thanks, Scott. Really appreciated the piece this morning. So in the scenario that you just laid out where we're talking about lower for longer interest rates and a Fed that's going to remain on the sideline, you know, any sort of correction in my mind would accelerate the trend we've already seen from sort of value and epicenter stocks into growth stocks. You couple that with potentially some concerns about behavioral response of the Delta variant. You know, why, you know, why wouldn't you, instead of selling out, just be rotating into some of these higher quality, you know, high balance sheet growth stocks in this period? Well, you know, it's interesting um, because we, we typically don't have uh, mandates that are exclusively equities. And so, uh, you know, for people who are in that situation and they, they are, you know, in the position of maintaining equity positions, I think what you're saying makes absolutely perfect sense. Uh, that, that would be a very good strategy. Uh, we tend to be more macro in our clients' accounts. And so, you know, we look at, you know, uh, the opportunity to increase exposure to equities or reduce exposure to equities. And then, as you know, I just mentioned, um, you know, uh, you know we, we, we've basically at this point pretty much limited our exposure in those types of accounts to SPACs. So, um, you know, I, I, but I do believe that if, if we were in the position where we needed uh, to maintain a, an, an exclusive exposure to equities with a mandate, then I think your trade is actually a good trade. Scott, I appreciate it very much. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on the Halftime Report today and discussing this note. It's got a lot of people talking. I'm glad you could uh, add some insight into where you think things are heading from here. We'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it again, Scott. Right, Thank as you. Do we. That's Scott Minard. He's Guggenheim's global CIO. All right, um, Rob Seachin, is he right? Is it time to de-risk? I think we could get a pause. I think we could get a sell-off. But I think that's, that's kind of getting too cute from my perspective. Uh, of course, the Delta variant is taking center stage. But we think it's delayed and not derailed the uh, economic recovery. There's implications of, uh, of delaying the economic recovery because you still have these, the, these labor shortages and, and bottlenecks, especially because most of this is happening in the EM. And it really puts upward pressure on price and, and, and inflation. Um, the market didn't care about what happened yesterday, the, the GDP miss. I mean, you had energy, financials, and materials lead the way, Scott. So underneath all that, you can explain the miss due to the pandemic. And if you look, uh, if you look at the UK as a proxy, you saw big spikes in June. Now the infection rates are decelerating now. And the important thing is hospitalizations are down 95%. Certainly, if you look at EM, where the vaccination rates are much lower, it's certainly going to delay them a, a lot longer. But ultimately, this plays out in a slower way than it did before. The biggest worry I have is really once inflation expectations go higher and they start to persist, um, you have inflation. And so I think intermediate term, I suspect that we might see some volatility around news, around inflation, interest rates, uh, Delta variant. But as we get through this, what you're going to see is an incredible reopening trade. And so the way we're doing, we're, we're, we're addressing things 
is in the high earnings risk stocks, which are mainly in tech. We're being a little more cautious and we're doing exactly what Shannon said, which is we're taking advantage of the volatility we're seeing in the cyclical stocks. And if you look at yesterday, it looks like everybody else is, too. Well, let me ask you this. I don't think people buy that. Let let me ask Jason Snipe this. So if the the Delta variant, if, if nothing else, makes people nervous. Jason, and it keeps people from putting money in the so-called epicenter stocks or more cyclically natured names. And in the meantime, you also lose the mega cap techs as people question the growth trajectory, certainly from a sales standpoint for all of those stocks. What takes the market higher? Yeah. So I think there's a lot to download here. Obviously, you know, Miner made some, some interesting comments. You know, yeah. So with the Delta variant, yeah, I think that is concerning, but again, 50% of the of, of the population of the U.S., I should say, is vaccinated. You know, there was a GDP mess that, that Rob just mentioned, you know, that, that the market absorbed very quickly. You know, the jobs numbers weren't great. But what I would say is we can't fight the Fed. The Fed will continue to stimulate the markets until this jobs market gets better. And that's likely going to happen in September when I think we return to work and return to everything. So I think when that happens and when we enter into that season, I think that's the catalyst for the next leg higher from here. Josh Brown, what about this idea of peak everything, especially from from mega cap tech? If you look at the numbers, I mean, they blow you away. They blow you away and they make you do have the, the question of, is this as good as it gets? They can't repeat these numbers. Amazon told you as much last night. What you were doing in the pandemic, you can't do when you're out of the pandemic for some of these companies, whether it's Amazon or maybe Peloton or Teladoc or Zoom or or all of those kinds of stocks, maybe not those specifically, but you get where I'm going to. The growth trajectory for some of these companies, as great as it still may be, is not going to be as great as it was. Is that a problem or not? Well, I think you're exactly right. And that goes a long way to explain why Amazon and Netflix have been underperformers because the way in which we consume a lot of what they put out there changes when we're not stuck in our houses. But that's consensus. Like everybody is aware that we had these once in a lifetime e-commerce shopping booms last year. Like everyone gets that somebody that bought a dishwasher in 2020 for their new kitchen doesn't need another one in 2021. So I feel like that, that story is already out there And so what I've been trying to do is focus on the companies that are still putting up these amazing numbers, but it's less of a reopen story and it's just more of an ongoing adoption story. I've been using that term adoption a lot. So Apple and Google uh, and, and to a slightly lesser extent, Facebook, these are companies where lockdown, the, the lockdown comps aren't as difficult for them because a lot of what they provide is not just for people sitting at home. And obviously, Google's an excellent example of that, having a huge amount of business associated with things like travel. Um, and of course, the need for an iPhone doesn't change whether or not you're in your house or you're not in your house. So that is a dividing line, Judge. I think it's a really good point that you make. So it doesn't have to be peak everything. It can just be peak some things. So in the case of Amazon, we, we, know, we know the need for e-commerce is not going to be as acute this year as it was last year. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. So the stock's having a great year, uh, and they continue to invest a lot of money in, in logistics, et cetera, just like they did last year. 
and maybe what was a little bit out of consensus was exactly how much right. money they're planning to spend. But we know that Amazon does what, it, what Amazon wants to do. So let me do this. Let, let's take a break. When we come back, Shannon has some very interesting new additions to her portfolio. Need to hear about it. We'll do it next. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I'm John Ford, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. New documents showing former President Trump told Justice Department top officials to declare the 2020 presidential election was corrupt, even as they told him they couldn't find any evidence of widespread election fraud. The comments come from firsthand notes of a phone call in late December between Trump and then-Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen and others. In Texas, a two-day march for voting rights has arrived in the state capitol. About 100 people making the nearly 30-mile march, including former Democratic congressman and presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke and religious leaders. Tornadoes in New Jersey. Severe storms triggered a pair of twisters. Roofs were torn off of some houses. Trees and boats were tossed around. There was also flash flooding and hail the size of a half dollar. And in Virginia, the first arrivals from Afghanistan of translators and others who faced retaliation from the Taliban for helping the U.S. war effort. 200 Afghans flew into Washington, D.C. and were bused to an army base for medical scre- uh, screenings. And on the news, standing up for the thousands of allies who fought shoulder to shoulder with American troops against the Taliban tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, back to you. All right. Shannon Sakosha, let's come to you now because you bought the cues. And you add it to Netflix. Peak everything, you say no way. Well, I think it's peak some things. I just don't think it's peak everything. And so, you know, to, to consistent with what Josh said and, and really what Scott was saying as well, I think we're entering this period of chop. And I think that there are going to be some concerns about the reopening trade. Joe Terranova said it best a few weeks ago where he said reopening can't happen twice. And so could it be delayed? Perhaps. But in the interim, I I look at a company like Netflix. I look at their ability to continue to grow subscribers. I look at this as a long-term hold. It's been a long-term hold for me. Great time to add to it um, and position myself for the next couple of years when they're going to be releasing new content. I also had some cash on the sidelines. When you have dividend-paying stocks, Scott, you're constantly getting new cash to invest. And I thought in this next four- to six-week period, Shorter term trade than is normal for me, but I thought having a position in the queues was a great way to continue to um, have equity exposure, which I think is appropriate, but have it in a place that I think is going to be a little bit better protected if we do continue to have some of these COVID worries weigh on the markets in the next few weeks. Yeah, you, you bought more Netflix and Disney, too. I mean, I failed to mention Disney, yep. but take me through both of those, please. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think continuing to see streaming be an incredibly important part of the way that we consume information. I understand that this is the summer of everything outside of the house. I think, you know, we're going to rotate back to consuming more media online. I think that Disney and Netflix are going to come out to be the two strongest players in this space. And again, we still haven't seen parks revenue for Disney come back. We're ahead of the earnings for them. And I think it's a great time to initiate a larger position in that stock as we move through what I think will continue to be strong, positive trends for their park revenue. All right. We're seeing Disney shares uh, modestly sell off today. And then there is Skyworks. It is sinking despite beating earnings last night, which meant we had to get Steve Weiss on the phone because he owns it. And he's been talking about it leading up to that earnings report. All right. So I'm looking at the stock. Oof. I hope you're not because it's down about eight and a third percent. What do you do now? What do you tell people who probably followed you into this name, Steve? Well, you do what I did. You buy more. Oh, look, I spoke to, uh, to Liam today, CEO. It was a phenomenal quarter. It was a great conference call. I think there's some misunderstanding in terms of the margins, which relate to COVID. They have their own fabs, so it didn't hurt there. But for their customers that need a couple more components, that's where it hurt the margins, even though the margins were up quarter to quarter. So, look, this is the beginning of a 10-year 5G cycle. If you listen to the customers that they talked about that they have new design wins for, it's phenomenal. If you own Apple, there's no way not to own this because they're their primary supplier for RF chips. But the total addressable market, the TAM, for this company has increased exponentially. It used to be just phones. Now it's the entire world. It's Peloton. It's autos. And it's selling, despite growing earnings at 73%, which won't be sustainable, but they'll continue to grow them around 15 to 20%. You're paying a big discount to the market. So I bought more. Stock's down 10%. I love for this to happen. If you're a long-term investor, you got to love for it to happen as well. Where'd you, so, uh... yeah, the quarter was great. Where'd you buy more yeah, sorry, at? Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. Give me a, what's the number you bought at? I, I, I bought more down 17 and a half. Oh, okay. All right. So a little bit lower um, from here. What about Corvo? You, you buy yeah. more of that too? So I did buy more. Skyworks I bought today, but Corvo I bought on the print, and I bought it a little prematurely because it's down from where I from where I added to it. But they're different companies. They have the same type of RF business, but. Corvo's business is much broader. It doesn't mean they're going to report the same quarter. Even Qualcomm's down after a phenomenal quarter. This is when you buy. This is when you step up, when you don't run and sell. So I love them both. All right. Bought more Skyworks. Bought more Corvo. That is the headline. Steve Weiss, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott. Then there are Robinhood Mm -hmm. shares. They're positive today after a rocky debut. We're going to hear how the investment committee is sizing that up. We'll do it next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Let's take a look at shares of Robinhood. Uh, that's following yesterday's debut. Kathy Wood is adding to it or adding it to the ARK ETF. Stock's getting a little of a bounce back, a little bit of a bounce back today. 
Again, it is still uh, underwater, though, from the $38 open price. Jason Snipe, haven't heard from you about Robinhood. What do you think about this name? Would, would you buy it? Yeah, so I have a tough time with uh, the business model here. I mean, 80% of their business comes from payment for Autofoil, which obviously has been around forever. Uh, but with that that part of that much of their business going in that direction, that that that's heavy for me. I think they're going to have to evolve. They're going to have to uh, make available other services for clients if they're going to want to compete with the Schwabs and the other large asset managers in the business. So. That's my story in here. It's, it's not a buy for me here, but I, I'd like to see them evolve and develop. I think they have really benefited from the environment, um, you know, the COVID environment. So that, that's kind of the story for me. Rob, there are some who are wondering whether, you know, usage and trading has peaked among retail investors on Robinhood. There's the payment for order flow issue that Jason Snipe smartly brings up. There's the fact that they're just not as diversified as a SoFi or perhaps some of the other competitors that we lump them in with. Are, are those real issues or is this thing just a few day bump? And then we're going to be talking about it in a more positive way in the months to months ahead. Listen, I think they are real issues. This is just not the type of stock that New Edge buys. Um, it is a it, it is a business that's obviously heavily transactional. There's there's generally not a lot of value placed on transactional businesses from a PE perspective. In addition, it was a little bit of a hot dot that benefited from a unique environment as the other guys talked about. So uh, I I, I wouldn't short it, that's for sure, but it's not the type of company that we would own in our portfolio. All right, Ask Halftime is next. We are back after this. We're ready to answer some of your questions now. We do begin with a video question for Josh Brown. Hey, this is Zach from Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Big fan of the show. My question's for Josh Brown. I'm hoping he can keep it 100 and tell me if GM has a chance of getting to 100. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you think? I'm known for keeping it 100. Or keep with, the kids are now saying keep it a buck. All right, so let's all, let's all get on the same page. Uh, yeah, I think the stock can get to 100. Think, think about the multiples that people are paying for electric vehicle companies multiple times uh, uh, over, like price to sales ratio multiple times. GM is 122 billion in sales with a market cap of 80 billion. But the first push into electric uh, and autonomous driving, et cetera, I think the more possibility there is for margin expa- uh, for multiple expansion, and that's how you get there. I don't think it happens overnight, but I'm, I'm a long-term shareholder here. All right. Appreciate that. I saw a question on Twitter yesterday that I just loved, and I wanted to do it uh, on the show. Hey, Judge, can you ask the committee, especially those that take the long view, how they differentiate between dead money and a slowly unfolding investment story? It seems to me that waiting for a stock to turn around two years has a high opportunity cost. So, Shannon, how would you address that? Boy, it's certainly hard to do. I mean, I think when you're a long-term investor, that's why you're always revisiting your thesis. IBM is a great example of that right now. We're waiting for you know, the current CEO to be able to execute uh, a very meaningful turnaround in this business. And then we get the news that Whitehurst, who is the former CEO of Red Hat, which they're integrating, is leaving the company, which sort of pushes that timeline out a little bit further. I think you need to remain disciplined, constantly looking at the opportunity and make sure that you don't fall in love with anything and that your thesis hasn't been disrupted. Okay, Uh, dead money versus slowly unfolding. You may have to wait a while, Jason. What's the answer here? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, for me, the theme that I think about is clean energy. ICLN is, was a, has been a great winner for us over the years, but this year it's down 20%. You know, one of the points that I've heard on the show over the last couple of weeks, it's really difficult if I think, for example, you know, building EVs, you know, getting building EVs and, you know, what that is. But the theme is, is very important. I think we'll continue to grow, but it's going to take a while. Uh, for the infrastructure to support it. So these are stories that you have to stick to, stay long, you know, be committed. All right. We appreciate that. Another busy week of earnings is just ahead. The investment committee will be here to tell you how to play. Look at all those names. We're going to size some of them up for you when we come back. All right. We begin August with a very busy week of earnings. Josh Brown, front and center for you, my man. Uber, Shake Shack, Live Nation. Yeah, so the one I'm most concerned about is Uber because of the fact that we're kind of having these fits and starts with the reopen now. And I wonder what that might mean for guidance on the ride hailing business. So I don't and just looking at the technicals, I mentioned it's in no man's land. Uh, There doesn't seem to really be a decisive trend. Doesn't appear to be a lot of confidence uh, among the shareholder base right now for that stock. So I definitely have the biggest concerns there. Uh, Live Nation doesn't really give you a lot of information throughout the course of the quarter, so I don't think it's an earnings story. Um, I think what most people want to hear about is the second half of the year and the projections and how new shows are selling, etc. So I think people will be listening for the forward-looking and, and some more color, uh, frankly, not non-financial data, but like color on what's happening with all the big festivals that are going to be so crucial in the next 12 months. Uh, Shaq, for me, is not an earnings play. Actually, they're very bad at reporting earnings. The stock tends to sell off after they report. I don't think they've quite figured out how to communicate with Wall Street, but I don't care about that. Stock is having a wonderful year. It's had an amazing run off the lows. I think they are making big strides in some of the things they've had to do, like getting better at mobile orders, getting better at uh, or, or building tracks and drive throughs So I'm, I'm a happy shareholder and we'll see what happens. All right. Good stuff. I um, noticed a few moves that I wanted to get to as well from uh, other committee members today. Jason, you bought more PNC Financial. Tell our viewers why. I did. So for me, I mean, PNC is probably about 10 percent off their 52 week high. You know, the deal with uh, UMC bank shares that they acquired is done. You know, that happened in June. So I think there's about 20 percent accretion there that, that they'll see. And that gives them great exposure uh, to the Sun Belt. So I like it. I decided to add some more capital there. All right. Uh, Shannon, I mean, I'm sorry, Rob Seachin, you have some new buys. Garmin, Aptiv, Canadian National Resources. Pick the, pick the one you like the best and tell, tell us about it before I run. You got it. Uh, we, we bought Aptiv in our opportunistic equity portfolio last week. That's the one we run in partnership with Fundstrat. They're a supplier of components and software for electric and tech-enabled vehicles. They're benefiting from the short-term supply-demand imbalance in the auto market, as well as a, a shift towards electric autonomous vehicles and increased vehicle safety. It's definitely a growth play. It trades at 40 time, 45 times next year, but its EPS is growing at 90% this year and 40 next. So we see, we think it's a pretty attractive uh, short-term investment. All right, good. I appreciate that. Let me bounce for a couple. Come back. We'll do final trades next. All right. Take a look at shares of Pinterest today. Hadn't gotten to that, but here we go. Shares are down 19%. 
Shan, maybe this brings it full circle to the way we started this entire, entire show. Talking about momentum that was had during the pandemic, and some of these stocks are just not going to be able to keep it up for obvious reasons. What do you think? I, I think this is a great example of that. I think we need to pivot away from assuming that we're going to get all of our content online. And I think all of us investors need to be very careful about filling our basket with those companies that have proven that they can execute um, at a, a very high level in both a pre-pandemic and post-pandemic world. Um, Pinterest just just needs to revamp here, uh, reset. Uh, and I think that they'll be able to do so. But I think any uh, any of these peak um, work from home, stay at home stocks are are worthy of a, a second look in your portfolio. Josh, it's resetting. All right. A lot lower. Uh, I think it's below the 200 day. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, it it's a it's a dumpster fire. I Listen, I, I think it's a great company. Here's the problem. Just this idea that people are going to be sitting at home and like playing with digital designs or like look at Etsy. It's pretty obvious to me that that one peaked. Like we're not all going to be doing arts and crafts anymore. So I put these in the same basket as like um, Peloton. I just I don't think the companies are doing anything wrong. I actually don't think they can do anything differently. Pinterest reported negative, negative monthly average u- user. That's not because Pinterest all of a sudden is not a good service. It's because people have less of an interest in that. And you're going to see that in a lot of different stocks like this. So um, I really do think people need to reconsider like what what aspects of 2020 will never be repeated again. Um, And so, well, you know, we'll we'll see. This probably won't be the worst of them because Pinterest was a popular service prior to the pandemic. But for me, technically, it's there doesn't appear to be any logical place to want to step in and buy it. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We will do final trades next. All right, let's do final trade. Shannon, you have the first one. CRM Salesforce reports in a few weeks, um, but they're definitely already starting to make some enhancements on Slack. So I think this will be a good report. All right. We'll see what happens there. Have a good weekend. Rob Seachin. Uh, Canadian Natural Resources, uh, CNQ. We bought in our dividend portfolio last week. It's a Canadian-based EMP company with leverage to rising oil and natural gas prices. Gives us that cyclical exposure at a great valuation. Their break-even on oil is 30 bucks, so at 73, it looks great. All right, down a couple of percentage points today. Jason Snipe? Boston Scientific, elective surgeries on the comeback train. Stay long here. All right, Josh Brown? Uh, Amazon, the, the trade on the breakout is now over, but the investment for me continues. I think the stock's worth hanging on to. All right, number of price target reductions uh, after Amazon earnings. We are going to see what happens next week with Mega Cap Tech. Take a look at the market here. Dow is down triple digits at this very moment. That's a loss of about 120. We'll see you on the other side of the weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.